Oliver Cromwell was one of the great uh, politicians and soldiers in Britain in the mid-1600s, and he served in Parliament for many years. It was during that time while Cromwell was in Parliament that England began to run uh, scarce in silver to be able to make coins with. So they began to look for places that they could find silver to, um, to make their money. And they found that most of the silver in England was actually in the cathedrals and specifically in the statues of the saints that were in these cathedrals. Cromwell was purported to have ordered, he said, well, let's melt down the saints and put them into circulation. Now, that story could be apocryphal, I don't know. But when I heard it, I thought, isn't that what ministry is about? Isn't it taking the saints and putting them into circulation? Isn't it taking people like you and me, God's people, and finding out what their gift is and putting them into the ministry and was in circulation into the body of Christ and circulation out in the world to be able to do ministry? This morning, I want us to talk about how to work together in ministry. And this is somewhat of a follow-up to our lesson last week as we are looking at the other side of our theme, to love more and give more, and think about the idea of giving more, serving more, being involved in ministry. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and that's going to be our text this morning. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 in just a moment, and think about how we can work together in ministry. Let me join me, Stephen, and welcome each one this morning. We do have a number of guests with us. We recognize you and welcome you, and we're glad you've come to be with us in our service this morning. We hope that you're edified and uplifted by our time together and our worship and in our study of the Word of God, and hope you'll come back and be with us on other occasions as you have opportunity. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the great passages in the Bible, and it speaks to a unity here of God's people. In the beginning of the chapter, Paul makes a great plea for unity here. In verses 4, 5, and 6, he speaks of the platform of unity to the seven ones that bind us together. And then he talks about the provisions that God has set forth and the perfection of that unity. And so beginning in verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. For our purposes this morning, though there is much here we can talk about for a long period of time, I want to camp on the expression work of ministry and how that here in this text, if we are to fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives, 
in the church, we're to be engaged in the work of ministry. And so we want to begin and talk about what does it mean by ministry. We want to talk about the four pillars of ministry, what the work of ministry involves, and then talk for a few minutes about those to whom we may have an opportunity to minister. What is ministry? The word ministry in the Bible is used in two different senses. It is used in a physical sense, that there is actually physical ways, material ways, if you please, that we minister to our brethren as well as even to other people. In Acts chapter 6, we read, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let me stop right there. If you have the 1611 version of the King James Bible, it will say ministration. And so this is the word that is translated ministry. Here in the New King James and other translations, it uses the word distribution. But it is the word that we get the word ministry from. It's talking about a ministry here. So keep that in mind, that these widows were neglected. We call it benevolence, but it was a ministry. Then the twelve, some of the multitude of the disciples have said, Is it not desirable? It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so here was a benevolent need among these Christians, specifically these widows that were being neglected, and seven men were picked out. It is believed, I think, by most Bible scholars, and I happen to be, I started to say be among them, I'm not a Bible scholar, but Bible students at least, that this was a forerunner to deacons. I think these seven men did the work that we often assign to deacons as physical work that arise out of spiritual responsibilities. They had a spiritual responsibility to take care of their own, to provide for those in the church family there. But out of that spiritual fellowship and responsibility arose a physical need, a ministry, if you please, and they took care of this need. But secondly, the word is used to talk about a spiritual ministry. And in the last part of that verse, you see there the ministry of the word. And so the word ministry in this text is used both ways. It is both used in a physical sense to take care of benevolent needs, but in a spiritual sense in ministering the word. And so ministry can be physical. Ministry can be spiritual. It is used in this sense in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, where Paul writes, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now what's the ministry of reconciliation? Well, he goes on to explain it. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, I think in that context, he's talking specifically about the apostles. 
But what is the word of reconciliation? Well, it's the ministry of reconciliation. And he goes on to say, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Well, what was the Apostle Paul doing when he was imploring people be reconciled to God? When he was preaching to the people in Antioch, when he was preaching to Agrippa and to Felix and to Festus, what was he doing when he was imploring to them to be reconciled to God? He was engaging in the ministry of reconciliation. He was preaching the word. He was ministering to these people in a spiritual sense. And so when we preach the word of God, we are involved in ministry. So the word can be used either way, depending on the context in which it is used, physical or spiritual. Now I want to share with you what I sometimes call the four pillars of ministry. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12, if you care to follow along. I do have this on the PowerPoint. But Romans chapter 12 speaks of these pillars that we want to look at for a few minutes. Paul says, beginning in verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The first pillar here is the fact that every member is a minister. You know, in the denominational world, there's often a distinction that is made, and they call it a clergy laity distinction you may have heard that expression used sometimes in fact there are ministries if you ever pay attention to this that they talk about lay ministries and if you wonder what is they talking about about lay ministries well we call the people in the pew but they call it the laity and so they look at the clergy as the professional preacher and so you have the ministry of the clergy class and the laity class now for the record, the Bible makes no such distinction. Do you know that? The Bible never makes any kind of a distinction called clergy and laity. In fact, it's just the opposite. In this text, he says that every member is a minister, that we're all involved in ministry. We mentioned this a little bit last week, and I want to just bullet this again. The Bible says we're created for ministry. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, that he has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so he has created us in Christ, in the body of Christ, that we might do ministry. Not only that, we are saved that we might minister. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, he says he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We have been saved. Yes, we've been saved from our sins. And yes, we've been saved that we might be able to go to heaven. But there is a purpose behind what we're to be doing as saved people. And what is it? Ministering. We are to minister. He has saved us with a holy calling that we might be able to serve other people. In fact, we are commanded. Jesus, even in Matthew 20, talks about the fact that we should serve others. He came not to be served, but to serve. And that we ought also to serve. And, of course, we are rewarded in ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so some plant and some water, God gives the increase, Paul said. All are involved in ministry. All have a place in ministry. But the point is that every member in the church family can be involved in ministry. Which leads us to the second point, that every ministry is important. There are no little people in the body of Christ. And as you read in this text, in Romans 12, it points out the fact of the importance of each person, of each ministry, of each work, and that all of them have value. In a companion passage, as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says in verse 18, of course, I recognize there in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about miraculous spiritual gifts, but he says that God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Well, that's a fact. In fact, if you go back to our original text in Ephesians 4, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God put them in the body. Now, we don't have prophets anymore. We don't have apostles anymore. But they had a role. Their ministry was important. But the ministry of evangelists is important. The ministry of, of pastors, the ministry of teachers. We've noticed the ministry of deacons all have a place. And in the third pillar that this text tells us in Romans 12, that ministry is dependent on one another. In other words, it is interdependent. And there are many members, but there's one body. Now, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12. That analogy is developed in a little bit more detail, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 12, as Paul uses the physical body to compare to the spiritual body. And just like in the physical body, you have many members, eyes and ears and arms and legs and feet, and, and all the members of the body work together to be able to serve the body and are directed by the head. So it is with the spiritual body. And they're interdependent. And one can't operate apart from the other. I mean, if you cut off my arm, it has no value anymore. It doesn't function anymore apart from the head. And so all of us in the spiritual body of Christ depend on one another and are directed by our head. But then ministry is based on our gifts. Did you notice that as we've read from this text and in, in Romans chapter 12 that we all have gifts, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We all have gifts. Every one of us have gifts. My gift may not be your gift, and your gift may not be my gift, but we all have gifts, and all the gifts are different. And they're according, he says, to God's grace. I can't boast 
and talk about how great my gifts are. Oh, by the way, if you're looking for blank four in your outline, I didn't get that in or I goofed up. So this is the fourth point under the four pillars there. But I said, what, what, what happened to that? All right, for all you melancholies out there, don't despair. Okay, it's all right. Just write it in the margin somewhere. Pillar four, ministry based on gifts. We all have gifts. We're all different. And I can't brag about how great my gift is because it's by the grace of God. So whatever talent, ability, skill, gift that I'm able to employ, give God the glory. It's not because I'm so great. It's because we serve a God that's great. It's according to his grace. But then he says, let us use them. I need to use the gifts that God has given to me. So what does that mean? That means if you're a one-talent person, don't envy the five-talent person. Don't be like the guy in the parable and bury your one talent in the ground and say, well, poor little old me, I can't do much. There's just not much I have to offer. Well, maybe there's not much, but there's something. So what is that something? What is that gift? Use it. Use it. You have two gifts. You're the two-talent person. Use them. Are you the five-talent person? I, I, I've known a few five-talent people through the years. I have some preaching colleagues that are five-talent people. I mean, they, they can just do it all. You know, we got vacation Bible school coming up here. We, we've got to recruit someone to come lead singing for the little kids. I mean, if we wanted to sing, sing on key in the right tune to these songs, it ain't going to be me. All right? But, in fact, when I first started preaching, my uncle said, Kenny, you can't be a preacher. You can't sing. Well, thankfully, there are other preachers in the same boat I'm in. So music's not one of my gifts. All right? And so no use me trying to pretend that it is. But if, I, if you're a five-talent person, don't be operating on three talents. Use them. Isn't that what it says? It says it, doesn't it? Right? You, everybody seeing that right there in the text? You, use them. You know something, folks. We, we marvel how our denominational friends choke on baptism. They can't see or command to be baptized. And yet, I think sometimes we choke on words like this. Use these gifts. I, I don't see it as an option. Well, you can if you want to, but if you're kind of busy, you don't have time, it's okay. It, it's, it's optional. Do you see that there? No. And I tell you what's kind of interesting about 1 Corinthians 12, as opposed, or, first, or Romans 12 as opposed to 1 Corinthians 12, that in Romans 12, you have a combination of both non-miraculous and miraculous gifts here. You have prophecy, which was a miraculous gift, but you have gifts of mercy, that's not miraculous. And, and so you have leadership, that's not miraculous, or exhortation. And so, although it could be, there could be someone who had a miraculous gift to do that, and so all of these were used in the body of Christ. Well, we don't have any miraculous gifts today. All of us are non-miraculous. So whatever you gift you have, you need to use. What's the result? It's the building up of the body of Christ. That's what our text says in Ephesians 4. The body of Christ is going to be built up. It's going to be edified. That's what the word built up means. So very quickly, this chart. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For or with a view to equipping the saints 
for or unto ministry, either physical or spiritual, for, the text says, or unto the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That's what the text says. That's what this is all about. But it is about the body of Christ engaging in ministry. Now, this involves equipping. That there must be equipping take place. And so the word equip made, means to make fit or to prepare or, or to repair what has been broken or to, to arrange or to strengthen or to complete. And it's kind of an interesting word. It was used in the medical community in that day and time, the idea of mending a broken bone. The word was used about the fishermen mending their nets. It was used in Luke 6 and verse 40 about training the apostles. But it is used here in a spiritual sense. Now, who does it? Well, we just read there. It is evangelists, pastors, and teachers that they do the equipping. And so the work that we engage in, that we're not to do all the ministry. Preachers are not hired to do all the ministry. Elders are not appointed to do all the ministry. In fact, pastors and preachers are to work together to equip all the saints to find their gift and engage themselves in ministry. That's part of what, what we do. And how do we do that? We may do it in a number of ways. We may do it through leadership classes or teachers' workshops or men's classes or ladies' classes or it may be through song practice classes. With this program we're in with Gabe being here is an equipping program. And so I'm an equipper. You know, I preached a lot of years before I really understood their preaching was more than just speaking from the pulpit. It is work that is done outside the pulpit. And so it's an equipping program that we're involved in this summer. Marriage classes and parenting classes are equipping kinds of things. It may be done one-to-one. -one. It may be done with printed materials. It may be done online. It may be done through DVDs. It may be done by bringing outside speakers in to talk about specific subjects. But there are a lot of ways in which we can equip saints for ministry. We'll have to come back that way we have more time and talk more because there's a lot there to think about and how that can be engaged in. All right, so what I want to do is just close here with just bulleting some people. And I can see this is another. I thought about making this two sermons, and I wish I had it, but that's okay. We can always circle back at another time, can't we, and talk some more about this. We need, we need to minister to new converts. And in fact, the Bible talks about that in the Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, has two parts. It's teaching the gospel to the lost, but after they've been converted then, in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. And so we need to teach new converts. I've been in congregations where we have new converts classes. I think here when we have someone converted that we have a one-to-one -one type of situation where these people are, are trained. And so we need to do that. We need to minister to the new converts. We need to minister to weak Christians. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, We exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all men. And so those that are weak Christians need to be ministered to. We need to help them. There are those that are overcome with sin. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one. 
in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We need to minister to those that have been overcome in sin. And as we mentioned earlier, those with physical needs. Matthew 25, as Jesus gives the parable of separating the sheep from the goats. Isn't it interesting there that all that is talked about are really physical needs? And so there are physical needs. And this might be done as collectively as we minister to the saints from the church treasury, or it may be done individually as we help other people out of our own funds. We minister to our young people. Jesus is a great example of ministering to the children. In fact, when people brought the children to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them, Jesus in turn rebuked the disciples. And he said, allow the little children to come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. I mentioned VBS a while ago. We got that coming up in a couple weeks. And what a great opportunity to minister to children, to teach the little children, to have the little children come to Jesus. Our young people have needs. They have physical needs. They have emotional needs. And they certainly need spiritual support. And we need to look for all the ways that we possibly can to minister to our young people. And then we minister to non-Christians. And we minister to non-Christians as a congregation by taking the gospel to non-Christians, don't we? That, that's what we're all about, is sharing the word with those who are out of Christ. That's what preaching is about, to minister in the word to those who are not in Christ. Individually, we have opportunities with our own funds and resources to do a variety of good works. And Galatians 6.10 is we have opportunity let us do good to all people, especially those that belong to the family of believers. And so there are a number of ways that we can minister, whether it is individually, whether it is collectively. And so ministry is a work that we all can do together. That, that's my big takeaway this morning. We talked about a lot of different things. But the takeaway this morning, if you get nothing else, is that every member is a minister. That we can work together. And everything that we do ought to be done in a way it complements one another in the body of Christ. Well, Cromwell was right. We need to get the saints into circulation. Do you have a passion for ministry? Have you found your place in ministry? Have you found people to whom you can minister? Don't neglect or put it off. I'm reminded of the words of Stephen Grellett, who said, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, I can do or any kindness I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Have you ever been in a situation where you think, you know, I ought to do something. I ought to pitch in. I ought to help. I, and you hesitate and you don't. Bingo, the opportunity's gone. And you look back and you say, I wish I had a, but you didn't. So I hope all of us can leave this morning and be more ministry-minded, more conscious of ways that we could minister, both in the body of Christ both to, non to Christians as well as outside the body of Christ to those that are non-Christians.
May God bless us to be ministers in every way that we have opportunity and have talents and gifts to do that. Well, as we close this morning, we sing a song of encouragement and invitation. And the question of the song is, why do you wait? That's a great question. We can apply it to this lesson and say, why do you wait to minister? So just make that application as we think about singing the song and as we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What are you waiting for when it comes to ministry? Get out there and get involved. You owe a duty to the Lord in some way? Are, are, there, are there areas of your life that you need to get straightened up? Why do you wait? Are there things that you have done that have, that have reproached the name of Jesus and embarrassed the people of God and maybe you've been derelict in your duty to the point that you need to make that known and make correction? Why do you wait? Let us lift you in prayer. Let us encourage and help you so that you could do more and be better and be the kind of minister God would have you to be. Are you not a Christian? It could be there's one here this morning that's never obeyed the gospel of Christ and maybe you've attended with your family. Maybe you're a young person that's thought about, well, one day when I get older, I'll be a Christian. Why do you wait? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Are you willing to confess this morning Jesus as, as, the, as the Lord of your life and as God's only begotten Son? Are you willing to be baptized for the remission of your sins into the body of Christ and to arise therefrom to begin to minister and to serve and to do what you can do and the greatest cause on earth? This is the greatest cause on earth. Why do you wait? We hope this morning, if you're waiting, you'll cease waiting and become what God would have you to be. While together we stand and while we sing.